the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Presentations and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, Jonathan Wilson and Greg Sanderson of Taylor English Duma in Atlanta on the U.S. Treasury Department Section 1603 grants. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis Legal Podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. Greg Sanderson and Jonathan Wilson are with the firm Taylor English Duma in Atlanta. Mr. Sanderson provides legal services to businesses as special tax counsel, focusing on structuring business transactions to qualify for alternative energy tax credits and incentives. He's dedicated most of his practice to this area for the past 20 years. Jonathan Wilson is a member of the firm's Business Transactions, Corporate, and Taxation Group, whose practice includes corporate securities, corporate finance and governance, mergers and acquisitions, and intellectual property. He's represented both Fortune 100, middle market, and startup companies in transactional matters for more than 19 years. Mr. Wilson's also the founding chairman of the Renewable Energy Committee of the American Bar Association's Public Utility Section. Gentlemen, it's good to have you with us on this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. The American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009 created several incentives for renewable energy projects and extended a variety of tax credits that already existed. One of them involved a, a cash grant from the U.S. Treasury. Is that right, Jonathan? Uh, that's right, Steve. Uh, there are uh, two primary tax credit mechanisms in the Recovery Act involving two different sections of the tax code. There is Section 45 of the code, which involves the production tax credit, and that's a tax credit based upon the amount of electricity produced by a qualified uh, renewable property. And then there is the investment tax credit under Section 48 of the code. Uh, unlike the production tax credit, which measures how much electricity you produce, the investment tax credit is a credit based upon the cost of, uh, of implementing and installing the qualified renewable energy uh, property. Now, one of the things Congress figured out in the Recovery Act was, in a time of recession, a, an investment tax credit isn't necessarily going to be that helpful. Uh, a tax credit is only good for you as a, as a company if you have taxable income that can be offset with your tax credit. And Congress knew that project developers were going to have to find a way to monetize their tax credits, turning them into cash. So what they did is, is created their own monetization procedure through Section 1603. Section 1603 of the Recovery Act uh, basically says that if you qualify for a Section 48 investment tax credit, you can apply to the U.S. Treasury Department and get yourself a check equal to the amount of the investment tax credit that you otherwise would have had. And that's what the Section 1603 grant program is all about. Now, the credit crisis and the economy have had a, a bit of an impact on this plan, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think um, our experience has been in, in prior years, you would have seen project finance deals put together where investors were trying to monetize investment tax credits and depreciation and so on, and it was all uh, sort of a big a big mix that, that resulted in the financing for the project. In the past several years, project developers have focused on the 1603 grants because it's, it's easy cash. It's basically 30% in most cases of the, of the cost of the project. Uh, and once you've, you've gotten 30% down, well, it's not as hard to find the other 70% from other investors. 
Are we coming up on a deadline for obtaining a, tre a Treasury grant? We absolutely are. Although the applications for the 1603 grants are not due until October of 2011, there are certain factors for a project that need to be in place before December 31, 2010, in order for that project to be qualifying at the time the application is submitted no later than October of next year. And it's really those qualification requirements that need to be in place by the end of this year uh, that are driving a lot of work in renewable energy project finance these days. Greg, what are some of those requirements? The requirements are essentially you have to begin construction before year end. If you're going to place and service the project after 12-31-2010, you have to start construction before the end of this year. And there's some rules in place on how to start construction. There's essentially two tests that the Treasury guidance has provided for us. One is called physical work of a significant nature. And what that says is that you start physical work, hard costs. Either you start pouring footings on the site or you start fabricating equipment, you start building a boiler, building a turbine, building a wind tower, building a solar panel, whatever the qualifying energy property is, you start doing physical work for that, and you continue that work to a reasonable conclusion in a reasonable amount of time. So you start work, let's say, in October 2010, and you have to continue that work until you complete it. At that point, then you can file for your grant. First, you file preliminary applications proving that you started construction. Then after you place it in service, you get your 30% grant. That's called the physical work test. Well, Greg, what's the other one? What if uh, an applicant is struggling to satisfy the construction commencement requirement? Well, that's a good point because in some cases, applicants are ready to build projects, but they can't get permitting and they can't do anything on the site until they get their air permits. So in that case, you, your physical work test may not work. So there's, a, there's what's called a 5% safe harbor test. And what that test says is if you incur 5% or actually greater than 5% of the total capitalized expenditures that are going into that project, then the IRS and Treasury say that you have started construction and they won't, they won't challenge it. This test is a little bit different from the physical work test. The physical work test, you cannot count soft costs like preliminary engineering, accounting, financing, legal. You have to do actual physical work. In a safe harbor test, it's any expenditures that are going to be capitalized into the cost of that equipment under general accounting rules. So, for instance, that could include engineering, because typically engineering to build a project is capitalized into the cost of the equipment. It could include construction interests. It could include legal and accounting fees to acquire property. So, the safe harbor test is different from the physical work test. You have to spend more money, conceivably, but you don't have to continue work after you, after you spend the 5% money. So that, that's basically the two tests. There are some other criteria with respect to those tests, whether you have direct expenditures that you can count or expenditures that you incur under a contract with the supplier. 
So there are a number of elements that apply to Treasury grant applications to prove that construction's begun under those two thresholds. That's right, and the easiest way to do it, conceivably, is if you're self-constructing your equipment. Under the 5% test, you just spend, you, you buy equipment, it has to be delivered to the site, or you incur internal labor costs, internal overhead costs, equal to 5% of the cost of the project, and you pay that or incur it prior to year end. A lot of projects aren't constructed solely by the applicant or the developer, they, they hire contractors. If you're going to hire a contractor, that's considered work under contract, and the contract has to be written and binding prior to year end. And you have to incur the cost under that written binding contract, which could open up a loophole, but Treasury thought about this. For instance, one loophole would be if a, if a developer said, well, I'm just going to pay 6% to my contractor. Before year end, down payment 6%. I've met the safe harbor test. That does not work. Under the safe harbor test, if you're hiring a contractor, you look to what the cost the contractor has incurred prior to year end. And that contractor has to report those costs to you, the developer. So you may not be able to count your full 6% down payment. The contractor actually has to start work, incur labor, would count, incur overhead, and order parts or components start fabricating steel, and then report those costs to the applicant developer, and only those costs are what the applicant developer can count toward the 5% safe harbor. And of course, the applicant developer can count the costs that the supplier incurs under the contract, plus any direct costs the applicant incurs himself. And you can total those to meet the 5% test. These tests and requirements are a little involved and complicated. Would you recommend that developers and their council go over these well in advance? Because these deadlines are coming up quickly. Absolutely, Stephen. And there are a number of ways that project developers can easily get tripped up. For example, under the 5% safe harbor test, if you know by the end of this year uh, you thought you had your, your project well in compliance and you had incurred costs that were you know, just a little bit more than the 5% threshold, if you subsequently have a cost overrun subsequent to December 31, 2010, that caused the total cost of the project to increase so that your pre-12-31-2010 costs no longer exceed the 5% threshold, you now could be out of compliance. So it's very important when you're planning what it is you're going to do to demonstrate compliance at the end of the year, that you've thought it through to such an extent that even if there were some unexpected cost overruns, you would still be within inside the, uh, the, the safe harbor uh, or the physical work test. It would actually be beneficial to exceed those requirements. In fact, I, I think it probably would be prudent for project developers to get themselves a little bit of cushion between wherever they're going to be and 5% if they're trying to qualify under the safe harbor test. Greg, are the Treasury Department and the staff of the IRS helpful and responsive when it comes to uh, people inquiring about grant qualification? They are. There's a procedure at the Treasury website where you can email questions to, directly to Treasury, and if they're relating to matters of what type of property qualifies, how to fill out an application, and procedural type matters, you'll get a, a, usually a prompt response within, say, a week or so from Treasury answering your question. 
if you have more substantive questions about accounting rules or what can I count in my eligible basis for the grant, more detailed questions, uh, it's generally good to contact the IRS Chief Counsel's Office in Washington, D.C., and that can usually be done with a phone call informally. They may not answer the phone the first time. If you leave a message, they're usually fairly prompt in getting back to you, and you can talk it over with them. If, if you need more detail, there's a procedure where you can prepare a memo, usually one or two pages, fax it to them, then they'll discuss it within the chief counsel's office, uh, a number of people, and get back with you with their input. What are you hearing from the industry about this? I mean, are developers taking advantage of this? And uh, what kind, uh, if any, stumbling blocks are you hearing about? Well, certainly they are. Uh, if you're in the solar, wind, geothermal, biomass industries, this is a major factor in, in getting projects going. And it really has helped those industries start projects or reopen projects that were previously closed. So they all know about it and they're all looking at it. It's, it's been a good program. It's worked really well. It's, it's done a lot of projects that would not have otherwise been done, at least at this time. There have been some uh, complaints that, especially in the wind industry, a lot of wind equipment is manufactured overseas, and there have been some complaints that we're promoting jobs overseas. But um, overall, it has worked well, and, and the key is, as Jonathan was talking about, whether you apply, to, you have to file an application to prove that you met the construction deadline, and whether you apply under the safe harbor 5% test or the physical work test can impact your project, but you don't have to apply until deadline is September 30, 2011. So you have some time after year end to look at, okay, what are my costs? How is my work schedule going? Is it progressing the way I want it? And that's, that gives you a cushion of time to sort of decide, well, what are some of the pitfalls and um, how best do I submit my application under the construction test. I think Greg made a great point about the importance for project developers on focusing on the application process. Anyone who wants to get a Section 1603 grant, of course, is going to have to get their application done by October of 2011. And depending on whether the, the project is qualifying under the physical work test or the 5% safe harbor, there's going to be a certification required. If the, the application is trying to qualify under the physical work test, the certification is going to have to come from an independent project engineer. He's going to have to attest under penalty of perjury that the project uh, met all the requirements as of December 31. Well, if you're the project developer and you haven't identified your project engineer who's going to give you that independent certification next year, uh, you need to do so now so that project engineer can be inspecting the work as it goes and can be in a position to give you the attestation that everything was in place as of December 31, 2010. If you're trying to qualify your project under the 5% safe harbor test, you're going to need a statement from a certified public accountant, again, under penalty of perjury, attesting to the methods of accounting that were used to determine that the project qualified under the safe harbor, again, as of 12-31-2010. If you're a developer trying to make sure that your project qualifies, it would be wise of you to retain your CPA now to understand what requirements your CPA will have to give such a, uh, an attestation under perjury next year when the attestation is required. It could be that you do everything you need to do, but you don't retain the 
the CPA in time, and that CPA is unable to go back in time to get the evidence that's needed uh, to show the, the qualification as of the deadline. So again, you know, planning and coordination, uh, both on the project development, the legal and the tax side, uh, is really important for project developers who want to qualify for the 1603 grants. Well, let's talk about the legal side just a bit. What would you tell other practitioners who may have clients looking at these issues and starting to face these deadlines? What I would recommend is uh, they need to get, number one, if, if it's being manufactured under a contract, they need to see that, take a look at that contract to make sure it's going to qualify as a written binding contract. One requirement of a written, two requirements essentially, it has to be written and binding under state and local law, and it cannot limit damages to less than 5%. So if you sign a contract and, and the contract says, you're going to build this equipment for me whenever I give you notice and I can elect to give that notice or not and withdraw before you start, that's not going to count. You have to have some liquidated damages in there, minimum 5% liquidated damages in order for it to account. To count. It's a binding contract. Also, practitioners should understand that that equipment vendor or supplier to the project is going to have to account back to your client, the developer. So you want to require them in the under penalties of perjury of the cost that they've incurred or the work that they've done. So you want to require them in their contract to give that to you after year end December 31. And additionally, what I what I advise clients to do is to you've got two tests: the physical work test and the five percent safe harbor. Target one of those. Look at your facts and target one of those as your designated intent to apply for the grant. So you think you can meet the safe harbor? All right, focus on that one. But don't forget, if after a year end you total up your costs and you don't meet 5%, don't forget to have your, as Jonathan said, your engineer in line to say, I don't think we're going to meet the 5% test, but as a backstop, our engineer has been keeping up with the physical work requirements and instead will file into the physical work because you have, again, until September 30, 2011, to make your decision under which test to apply for your grant. And uh, you want to be able to choose, pick and choose after the fact that the one that's going to suit your facts, which you may not have all the facts today. A lot to consider. Guys, any final thoughts? Greg dug up this great uh, factoid. You know, the Department of Treasury has a list on their website of all the parties who have applied for and received Section 1603 grants to date. Oh, really? And it's interesting to, to look up that list, uh, you know, several hundred lines uh, of applicants and including the amount uh, of the credit that was approved. And the total of that, uh, you know, as of the day we printed this, was $5.3 billion. Well, that's impressive. It'll be significantly higher. You know, these are just ones that have already been awarded. It's not counting all the ones that are under contract that, that haven't applied yet. One of the things that was noteworthy to us was, uh, I would say, what, 95% of this is, is solar electricity, uh, so uh, photovoltaic solar. We do some solar work uh, out of our firm, but uh, we do even more biomass work because that's the, the type of resource you have in the southeast. And there, there are precious few biomass projects here. Like I said, 95% or more are, are solar electricity, and they are predominantly located in California, uh, Arizona, and secondarily in uh, Florida. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time and talking about some of these uh, projects and the grants. 
And I appreciate your being with us on this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Thank you, Steve. We enjoyed it. Greg Sanderson and Jonathan Wilson of Taylor English Duma in Atlanta. Thank you for listening to this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Visit the LexisNexis communities at www.lexisnexis.com slash community. The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast, copyright 2010, by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis. I'm Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.